0: Hello and welcome to the Purple Couch Clubhouse by the Ohio University Women's Center. My name is Maddie Nutter and I'm coming to you from Baker 403, home of the acclaimed Purple Couch. Join me for a cup of coffee and a chat about a book we could all learn something from. I understand that life is hectic and you're probably thinking you don't have time to read a whole book. No worries, just like an in-person book club, I'm prepared to be the only one who's done the reading. Our conversation today will be guided by concepts from the book, and I will include the important context. This month, we will be reading Fun Home, a tragicomic by Alison Bechtel. Alison Bechtel is a renowned American cartoonist. You may be familiar with the Bechtel test, a test which debuted in Bechtel's popular comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, and required that fictional media had at least two women who talked to each other about something other than a man. Fun Home is a graphic memoir of Alison Bechtel's childhood, family, and young adult life, specifically focusing on the relationship she had with her father. At the age of 19, Alison Bechtel came out as a lesbian to her family, and in turn, her mother informed her of her father's LGBTQ identity. This memoir is a coming-of-age story that deals with the complexities of queer identities, mental health, and trauma, alongside endless classic literature references, sarcastic quips, and a dive into Bechtel's very own childhood diary. For those of you who may not be aware of the content of this book, Funholm does discuss suicidality as a part of our conversation today, we will be talking about risk factors and resources, but we will not be covering any details. I am joined today by Micah McCary, Alex Reed, and Olivia Tonolia. Micah has been a member of Athens and Ohio University communities since he arrived on Ohio's Athens campus for undergraduate studies in interpersonal and organizational communication in the fall of 2003. He remained in Athens to complete his master's level studies in human development through Ohio University's individual interdisciplinary program before spending 10 years supporting co-curricular learning in Ohio's division of student affairs. Micah is currently completing an interdisciplinary PhD program rooted in positive psychology and decision-making while he works full-time as the director of Ohio's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center. When not working, Micah enjoys spending time with his dog, his fiance, family, and friends. Micah uses he, him pronouns. How are you doing today, Micah?
1: Very excited to be here, thank you. I'm joining you from our LGBT Center today.
0: Awesome, we're glad to have you. Dr. J. Alex Reed, is very happy to be able to participate in this podcast series and give a voice and insight to the importance of queer spaces on identity development and affirmation, as well as highlight the importance of attending to mental health needs of the queer community. He finds being on this podcast episode to be a great extension of his work as a therapist. Alex practices LGBTQ affirming therapy and helps queer people empower themselves to become the most authentic version of themselves. When not at work at OU's Counseling Center, Alex is spending time with friends, hiking, or trying new recipes in the kitchen. Alex's pronouns are he, him. It's great to have you here today, Alex.
2: I'm very happy to be here.
0: And finally, we have Olivia Tonolia here, a third year Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies and Environmental Studies major, who is focusing on studying ecofeminism and queer ecologies. She is particularly passionate about the icon of the evil witch and what it represents throughout history. She is very excited to be able to discuss queer experiences and literature in an open and accepting space. Olivia uses she they
3: pronouns welcome Olivia thank you so much Maddie I'm so happy to be here it is lovely to be speaking with you all today and I'm so excited for
0: this discussion are y'all ready to jump in
1: yeah yeah
0: awesome so Bechtel recalls feelings of trepidation and sitting in petrified silence when joining a gay union meeting Queer clubs and student organizations can be a great place for LGBTQ students to make friends and connect with people who have similar identities and experiences as them. But joining a new space can be often anxiety-inducing. If you have been a part of a queer space or LGBTQ organization, can you remember what it was like the first time you went to a meeting?
1: I know I can. I mentioned in the bio that Maddie read that I did my undergrad at Ohio University starting in the fall of 2003. And at that time, our main student organization was Open Doors, it's now called Spectrum Plus. But I remember meeting off campus at United Campus Ministry, and uh, I needed to bring a friend with me to kind of have the courage to go in. So an ally buddy from down the hall was interested in checking it out. And that made walking through the front door the first step easier and then uh, then feeling kind of overwhelmed by the welcoming vibe was enough to like make us feel invited to sit down on the carpet with them and uh, do some rounds of introductions and we do a lot of the same things now in our LGBT Center's physical space so it's kind of neat to um, see the significance of how the members who show up make the new members feel welcome.
0: That's amazing and I'm so glad you had an ally to come with you.
3: Yeah, I, I actually, when I first came to OU, I didn't really seek out these spaces, I think because I felt that same like petrifying, um, like all consuming fear in a way, um, especially because of, um, I think that like the, the focus on being very secure in your identity, a lot of the times within queer spaces as feeling um, like you have to subscribe to a certain um, like name for yourself. And so I think, um, Understanding that like I didn't exactly have to have my identity figured out uh, to pursue trying to find queer spaces, even if they were more um, informal, not necessarily like through an organization, but kind of hearing about um, just people talking about queer literature or getting a study group together of people who I knew were also queer and I knew who also had similar experiences. So kind of going about it in a casual way that doesn't necessarily rely on those identities, I think, really encouraged me um, and helped me to pursue other other spaces and other people that I knew I could relate to.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
2: Well, as micah said my first um meeting was also open doors i went to graduate school here at ou um, and it felt really i mean unreal at first um, it was a part of myself i mean i really really wanted to explore embrace and connect with others for a really long time but wasn't quite sure how so i was really nervous and really excited at the same time I was asking myself a lot of questions like, will I be accepted? How can I start to get more comfortable when I've been keeping people out for so long and kind of avoiding this part of me? Um, but it overall, was very validating, very liberating. And I knew it was a turning point that um, would definitely change my life for the better. Um, I went with a friend also another queer friend of mine who i was already out to and she was also kind of wanting more of a space to connect so we both just decided one day we're going to do this and we went to open doors and it was super positive and um we all right i didn't look back
0: That's so great to hear. Um, So my next question was going to follow up with what helped you build up the courage to go to a meeting. Um, But I think that Micah, you and Alex touched on that quite a bit in Olivia in a more informal way um, in finding that courage. Um, If anyone had anything else to speak to in that regard, I don't want to be redundant, but I also don't want to like ignore a space for y'all to discuss this. So if anyone has anything else they would like to speak to um, in regards to courage uh, being built up to go to a meeting, feel free to respond.
3: I I think that um, like in the realm of trying to find courage to go to like a physical space to interact with people, it was helpful for me to find that community online first, um, not necessarily with people who like, if they didn't accept me, I didn't know them, they, they lived you know, I don't, I didn't know them personally, so there was not nearly as much um, here, but just consuming that content and being part of a sphere of people who I know had similar identities to me in a very informal way, just laying in my bed on my phone, I think really helped me build the courage to see that, oh, I'm truly not alone. And now I can go talk to people face to face and I can shake their hands and I can give them a hug and we can ha- like have that really important interpersonal connection, but just starting that in a very disconnected way, I think, helped me really build the courage to do that.
0: Yeah, it's like a little Gen Z foot in the door that you got going there with an online community.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: That's so cool. All right, so our next question here, um, following up to this, is why do you all think that these organizations are a great place for LGBTQ students to connect with people? And this can be informal or formal LGBTQ organizations. um, But what about this space do you think um, makes it a good space to connect with others?
2: Well, I think the idea that you know that there could be already some shared identities, maybe build some sense of comfort. Um, You don't have to feel maybe as self-conscious or prepared to explain yourself or explain your queer identity the way that you may in other um, settings. Um, And you get to keep building a sense of community while embracing yourself and your identity at the same time um there could be also many opportunities for for personal growth and connection to whether that's simply connecting with others socially bonding over common interests or potentially i mean being together and being in a space to advocate for the queer community um as a whole
1: i would have to agree i love that the different student organizations we have for example at ohio university um some informal some formally registered uh, they have different focuses so um, I appreciate that if you're really looking for social support, primarily Spectrum Plus is really about that relationship building and uh, activities together of a social nature. But then you have a group like Allies, which is incredibly important uh, because it's calling people who are specifically wanting to learn about and practice allyship and have a kind of a support system, not just for friends but for accountability even.
3: I think that these spaces also offer an opportunity to kind of situate oneself in like a history of of queer culture in a way that um, you might like never have that opportunity to understand where this this group of people in this movement has come from and how this culture has developed and the very specific language that uh, queer people tend to use and you get to ask questions and be very inquisitive about it and um if you are queer you get to see how you're a continuation of a sort of legacy and if you're not and you're just there as an ally you can understand how you can uphold this history so i think that those spaces really um offer that great opportunity
1: absolutely yeah the the exchange of ideas and even like cultural materials like olivia's mentioning so even hey have you not heard of fun home let's uh let's watch some clips from the musical or Um, Hey, I have a copy of the book that you can borrow or, you know, same thing with music and other forms of media. So I I agree, Olivia.
0: Yeah, those are great points, everyone. Um, So kind of building off of a little bit what Micah started to speak to. um, What are some groups on Ohio's campus, again, informally or formally, um, that you would recommend to students who are queer or questioning their identity?
1: I can uh, share a couple of other examples that come to mind would be our outgrads and non-trads group, that's short for non-traditional, non-traditionally traditional aged undergraduate students, and that has uh, not just the social support connection piece, but also a professional development component, so that's pretty neat, and one of the last activities I did with them as a doctoral student myself was a hike at Old Man's Cave, so it's sometimes nice to be able to uh, go off campus and do some of this bonding and explore other parts of Athens too, so that's one that comes to mind for me.
0: That's
2: great. And for people needing um, a more, like, therapeutic and confidential space, um, the Counseling Center does offer a few um, groups. Um, Out Questioning an Allied is a group for all LGBTQ-identified individuals to connect with each other and explore their identity and potential, like, um, struggles with that and to joys um, and then also we now have queer grad space which is a similar group but it's only for graduate students um, and then finally spectrum which is one of cps's longest running um, their therapy support groups um, that is for students who identify as trans non-binary or gender diverse and it solely focuses on issues of um, gender identity and expression
1: yeah, and that spectrum group is not to be confused with spectrum plus, but we do like the fact that the term spectrum does convey a lot about the diversity that exists within the LGBTQ community. And we have like a, a trans group uh, that they've decided that the that trans will be an acronym for them that stands for team of really awesome non cisgender students.
3: I love that. That's incredible. Yeah, and not necessarily a group on Ohio's campus, but um, just taking like a WGSS class or um, like queer studies or trying to kind of get into um, explorations of queer identities and sexualities in an academic sense. I know that was really helpful for me. I'm a very like academically mind person. I'm very invested in understanding um, the history of different uh, groups. And so just even taking an intro course like exploded um, my interest in kind of exploring how these identities could immediately relate back to me. So just taking a 1000 level course because you have an empty slot, I think is a fantastic idea. And I I really think everyone should do it at least once.
1: Oh yeah, I've definitely heard of people who've made friends in like an English class that that specifically focused on LGBTQ lit. And I, I love that, that you can make those connections
3: the tumultuous nature of like academia and like getting through a class can really like genuinely form some awesome bonds between people. No, certainly. Yeah. My
0: WGSS 1000 class really like just did a great job of laying the groundwork of history like you were talking about, Olivia, Um, and as well as just general terms and like basic LGBTQ knowledge that I just hadn't been exposed to yet. But yeah, no, definitely very important spaces that help you learn a lot about who you are all right um so we talked a lot about the resources we do have um so i'm going to ask y'all to hypothesize here for a moment um but if you didn't have these resources available to you what do you think ideal support would look like for lgbtq people
1: i immediately go to the individualized support uh i would want in this hypothetical world if we didn't have organizations doing the work i would want every student, faculty member, staff member, community member to have had the kind of introductory support, education, uh, and terminology sort of piece that would help them at least be um, minimally at minimum supportive. uh, When someone shares an aspect of their identity and shares their pronouns and shares like what they might need from someone, I would think if we didn't have the groups and offices and departments formally, it would be Left to the individual to make sure that they were ready to support.
2: I think generally, as long as you're providing a space where you're listening, trying to understand and embrace the person, um, that's most important. If somebody um, comes out to you, if somebody shares this part of themselves with you, don't ask people to explain themselves or jump to your own questions. Provide space and acknowledge that. I mean, this is pro- could be the first time that they're able to be themselves in a very long time, and just how um special and how kind of sacred that moment is so just giving that space and listening and validating
3: yeah i think also like along with that acknowledging the like fluidity of identities and the fluidity of ideas and how um when you're introduced to new topics that can start to change how you perceive yourself or how you understand the world in which you're operating so um support understand like support looking like that understanding of that fluidity of that ability to change and uh, comfort versus discomfort of adhering to different identity names or um, the joy of being able to leave behind different identities um, and celebrating that as well. So kind of um, seeking out uh, spaces that don't uh, demand anything of you other than trying to be authentic, I suppose. That's a very eloquent way to put it. All of your responses were beautiful.
0: Thank you. Um, all right, so now we're pivoting to our next question. Um, so Bechtel described her discovery of her lesbian identity as, quote, a revelation, not of the flesh, but of the mind, unquote, as she became more and more enthralled in LGBTQ readings. If you share a queer identity, What media did you look to when you were coming into your truth as a queer person?
3: I know that like throughout my whole life, as I've consumed different forms of media, I've always kind of um, I think that it's it's generally pretty common that people will like write their own queer sub sub subplot like I will kind of write in or I will. I will project onto characters in a way because I didn't see myself in these characters so often. So I would start to like mentally explore what would it look like if these characters were queer? What would happen if that interaction actually did mean what it would mean to me if I were in that situation? So even it's not even necessarily like the type of media I was consuming when I was younger, because I think that I also had difficulty finding media that um, I could see myself in because I was not much of a reader when I was younger and um, mainstream media obviously is not always the best uh, place to find representation. So just kind of exploring my own identity by um, using those characters as uh, malleable mirrors in a way, I guess, so using media um, as a tool because I couldn't necessarily find something that I felt like fit myself.
1: Wow, that's really creative. <laughs> I I wasn't as creative. I um, stumbled into queer media. I think the first bit of exposure was probably an episode of a, a miniseries called Tales of the City, which was actually recently redone and put on Netflix. But um, that was just a glimpse. And then I think MTV's Undressed was like a late night, racy drama with uh, sometimes same sex couples or or representations of bisexuality. But honestly, um, I think it was the fact that I watched the soap opera All My Children for so long that I would occasionally, like they always tried to do social issues and like, oh my gosh, the high school history teacher is gay and the parents are upset about it. And uh, I'm glad that that one was on for 40 years because later they became the first soap opera to have a same-sex kiss uh, between uh, Erica Kane's daughter, Bianca Montgomery, and her girlfriend at the time. So it was neat to have like a, a kind of, high school lesbian and Bianca to grow up with. And then uh, then I think it was really important for me to recognize that a lot of that queer media was very white and not uh, inclusive of that intersectional identity that I have. So now I'm so glad that it's easier to access me- more multicultural queer media like uh, RuPaul's Drag Race or Pose and just getting to see um, that we've we've really grown. And I think that's something to be proud of.
2: I think what first came to my mind was um, prior to coming out, just um, the way that kind of media gave me a glimpse um, into maybe what what the future would hold in a way. Um, I can remember, um, like I mentioned, Undressed, I also remember that. Um, I remember watching Queers Folk late at night in secret um, and just kind of thinking, and it definitely had a very emotional reaction to it and thinking, oh, wow, this this I'm not, This is totally me, but how am I ever going to be anything like this? Um, So that's what kind of stood out to me was just the prior to coming out. And that kind of was more of a, I guess, pivotal moment that media played for me
0: yeah no and media can give us a, a wider array of different options and like different lifestyles that people hold not all of them accurate or fully inclusive um i know as a queer person just seeing like another gay person on the tv i'm like oh my god we exist that's so cool but then you know you you come to see that more often or perhaps question it right away like are these accurate are these accurate portrayals of us and our community in the media so definitely up for critique uh, even though they are some of our our first um media coming into it i know the l word was really um like transformational yeah. for me just seeing like lesbians like on tv interacting together and you know sometimes perpetuating stereotypes and you know that also leaves room for a lot of critique like i said but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate that you're mentioning how there's definitely a happy excitement that can come from oh my gosh, there's I'm getting to watch this. I'm now imagining Alex. I'm imagining you with a with a laptop under the bed or something like that <laughs> watching these shows. But uh and and you're right, there are other emotions that come with it too. Like it can feel like this sacred, like personal exploration. Um, especially if you're not telling other people that you're watching it, but I'm reminded of the fact that that All My Children character, Bianca, in one of the first scenes where she's coming out, there's a song playing at the bar that she sneaks into on Halloween, a lesbian bar, and um, I still listen to that song today because I remember, like, mirroring the emotions of how exciting and scary that would be, and uh, it's funny how these, the same thing with with uh, the book that we're discussing today, there's a great song in there called Ring of Keys that I always like, it stands out to me because it's like seeing seeing something that really resonates with you, someone that resonates with you and it just leaves this emotional like impression that can stay with you forever.
3: Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Anyone else have anything to add there?
3: Okay, then I wanted to go to our follow-up question. So we just, oh, were you going to say something, Olivia? I, I was I was just going to relate to Micah on this um, idea of, like, um, connections through, like, music and, like, even smell of those moments. Um, I, I grew up watching Glee, which, um, you know, like you said, Maddie does not have the best representation, but it does have quite a bit of representation, especially me being, like, in fifth grade watching it. Um, and I still hear those songs, and it really, like, it deeply moves me, even though they're pretty you know average covers of very famous songs <laughs> but it still it means something very deeply so i think that like relating um you know media can be very warped i guess in my memory in a good way where it's it, it's transformed because it's related to someone's journey it's not necessarily it doesn't need to be reduced down to just like what it is because it's it means so much more in those emotional contexts
0: Yes. Thank- I'm so glad that I went back and did not talk over you. There, <laughs> That was a, a lovely point, Olivia. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. All right. So we spoke a little bit about different kinds of media. Um, so specifically, though, um, are there any readings or resources that you found to be essential in coming to better understand yourself or the LGBTQ community?
2: I guess what I thought of here was when I really started to take a deeper look at myself and a deeper look at the LGBT community and wanted to understand it on, a, I guess, a more academic level and a just a deeper level. And this was once I was in graduate school and out myself. Um, I started reading the Journal of LGBT Issues in Counseling, um, familiarizing myself with um, sage competencies for counseling queer and trans individuals um, and also a multi- of multicultural counseling competencies. Um, and then also any, I really appreciated any work by um, Dr. Kevin Nadal, um, who studied microaggressions in the LGBT community. That really gave me kind of a, a better understanding that it's it's more than just, oh, I don't like this person because they're queer. There's so much more depth. There's so much more that needs to be understood and explored.
1: I just feel like I had an educational seminar. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I I think academically, I hadn't thought of this, but it would have been introduction to college student development theory, because I didn't recognize prior to that, that there were people studying the experiences of LGBTQ plus college students and looking at trends and patterns and shifts in terminology and intergenerational perspectives and such. But more, uh, more so spiritually, I would give it to RuPaul's Drag Race, because in part I'm sure that there's a subconscious connection to seeing a queer uh, male-identifying, you know, host who's, um, you know, someone I can actually dress up for Halloween as um, and probably make a convincing look But I like that um there's increasing diversity there but also with these really intentional messages of self-love and needing to accomplish self-love before you're able to love other people and the idea of chosen family which i think is important to so many lgbtq people who might not have uh strong relationships with the family that they were born into or grew up with so i think um yeah and academically i'll give it to college student development theory but spiritually i'm going to give it to the rupaul's drag race
3: yeah, my, um, my freshman year of college, um, I read *The uh, Gentrification of the Mind by Sarah Schulman, and it talks a lot about the AIDS epidemic. And um, that was really important for me as a very young queer person, because um, obviously I'm not in a time that I remember uh, what uh, was happening, or I was obviously not alive. Um, so I think that media gives us a chance to relate to a past that I don't want to see buried And so reading that piece, um, talking about the preservation of queer culture um, along with the expansion and and its fluidity, um, I think that was really important for me. Um, And then, yeah, again with Micah, like Glee and also um, like even kitschier, like Teen Wolf on MTV had a few queer characters and it like meant everything to me. So um, just, yeah, I I think that um, balancing out the like heavy academia, um that kind of acknowledges a history that can be very saddening and very disheartening and then also these funny dramas that um give characters that you can relate to because they're sarcastic or they're being dumb or whatever so um yeah those two those two sides of the spectrum yeah those are all great
0: responses uh, personally i definitely loved looking to grace anatomy's uh queer uh character um why oh, can't her? Her name is Kelly. Kelly. Callie Kelly Callie, Callie, right? Callie, Callie Torres. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Callie Um, she came out as bisexual, and then her partner was a lesbian. Um, and I remember just like living for that relationship within Grey's Anatomy when I was way too young to be watching it. Um, and then realizing that in a lot of queer media that like lesbians are just overlooked entirely. Um, not entirely, but like lesbians aren't often the story that like is being told there. Um, and so when I like got the chance to like study more about WGSS and stuff, um, one of my favorite readings is the woman identified woman from radical lesbians. Um, and one of my favorite quotes is what is a lesbian? A lesbian is the rage of all women condensed to the point of explosion. And I just really felt that, that almost it's, like a rage inside you of like not being portrayed the way that you truly are that I'm sure like every queer person can really relate to. But those are definitely just some pieces of media that have been pretty influential to me. I remember Patty Stokes assigning the radical lesbians piece and changed my life forever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, okay. thank you all for those readings and resources that you shared. I just wanted to ask how did you discover more about yourself or more aspects of your identity through media um and what has that process looked like up to this point like where did you know where to turn
1: I happened to get a book for um a like elementary school graduation or graduation gift so I was going into 6th grade and an aunt gave me a book by Stedman Graham who's like Oprah's partner or boyfriend and he wrote a book for adolescents called Teens Can Make It Happen. And it's not a LGBTQ specific resource, but it has all these prompts that, that you are encouraged to think about your values and your goals for life. And I remember at that time, as early as sixth grade, I had this fierce desire to be a father. And it says like, so what's your goal? I'm like, be a dad. What are some things that might get in the way? Well, I might be gay. And uh, well, how are you going to maybe like navigate that challenge. And I said, well, maybe I could find a woman who'd be fine with it being like a platonic relationship and we're married, but we're not going to have sex and uh, and we'll raise a family. Because I didn't have a concept or any examples around me that there could, well, first of all, that I could one day be married to, that wasn't even legal or even conceived of as a possibility then, but let alone like be able to adopt or otherwise have a child and raise them in a same-sex parent household. So I'm, I would actually, Reflecting on that, say that those kinds of workbooks, whether they're shared as through like a guidance counselor or a gift from someone else, but I think that personal reflection and journaling can be really great too.
3: Yeah, I think that um, once again with the Gen Z, um, I think that uh, social media also can't be overlooked, uh, especially like in my journey. And I know that a lot of people my age um, look and turn to social media um, to try and conceptualize their identity. I know for me, when I was trying to determine my gender identity, because I, I've known I was a lesbian since I was like, very young. Um, my, my grandma has always like her and her wife. have always been in my life. I've always had queer examples. I've been very fortunate in that regard. But gender identity was something that once I got to college, I started to consider and in mainstream media, I think that um, there is it's difficult to find gender nonconforming um, representation that is um, nuanced in, in the way that I was looking for and then that's when social media really filled that hole for me when I could see people um, actively engaging in exploration of their gender identity and so it was like it was a project that we were both working on in tandem even though I didn't know this person and they didn't know me and there was no communication they would say well this is really confirming for me and this makes me feel uncomfortable and so then I could to interrogate my own emotions, kind of what you're saying with journaling, Micah, it's that same like self-reflection that happens over and over. Um, So I think that like social media has been really, really uh, helpful for me. And I understand, of course, there are damaging aspects, but um, for queer young people, I think that it has been a great tool in a lot of regards.
2: I think for me, it's just been, no matter what media I've been consuming, whether it's, I mean, academic or not academic, I think that I found more kind of comfort in being myself and it's okay to share myself and to share my queer identity and not have to keep it a secret. um, And that I don't have to, mean apologize for who I am and know that I'll keep learning, I will keep changing and it's still, I mean, I will be a work in progress. So, I mean, the more media I consume, I mean, the more I do kind of take comfort in that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you all for exploring that uh, question with me here. Um, We are now at our third and final discussion question here. Um, So Bechtel recounts her personal and familial struggles with mental illness, specifically her childhood OCD, as well as her father's suspected depression and alleged suicide. Bechtel also, in describing her family as an artist colony, added that they could also be, quote, even more accurately described as a mildly autistic colony, unquote. LGBTQ individuals are statistically at a higher risk for experiencing mental health conditions. What kind of barriers do you think arise when the stigma of mental illness is compounded with the stigma of LGBTQ plus identities?
1: Oh, that's a big one. Uh, that comorbidity uh, in particular, when you have you know, both depression and you are like autistic, uh, like my, and then you're exploring like your trans identity. My gosh, uh, I I think we support a lot of students who are navigating these things, and I think that's one of the reasons why affirming healthcare, both mentally and physically, is so important. My goodness, but I I think it just you know when you think about just from the perspective of college students, since we're you know at Ohio University, thinking about all the challenges that they often have to face in terms of navigating the increased independence and maybe you're maybe you're dating or maybe you're deciding that you aren't someone who's interested in sexual activity with other people like all these things are then complicated by these additional challenges and barriers uh of like even if i recognize that i might have depression or anxiety that needs some medical treatment am i brave enough to take a chance on a position that may or may not be lgbtq affirming and that's why i'm glad when they actually stop and share those concerns and stories in a space like our lgbt center so that we can connect them with other students who've had positive experiences or uh, with great counselors at counseling and psychological services or you know people uh, who are medical physicians that we know to be LGBTQ affirming. It's, that's a really big question. A lot of neurodiversity and things people don't even understand that we, I think that's kind of like the next challenge for us to make sure that people are really thinking about that complex intersectionality.
3: I think also there is, um, I think it's important to approach these kind of questions and these issues um, while resisting this idea of like layering or like identity on top of identity that need to be addressed independently and kind of um, affirming to these people that they are whole people in and of themselves mm-hmm. and using that language. Um, and if they're facing issues, it's not um, like in spite of or because of another identity necessarily. It's, mm-hmm. I think they're just like treating people as they are whole people and and moving on from there um that's been really helpful at least for me trying to navigate life as a college student i am a whole person and my whole person is dedicated to this or this and feels like that um, i think that that is also very important when we're thinking about these kind of these kinds of issues
2: Yes, absolutely. I think that it's so important to acknowledge that, I mean, it can be a barrier for an LGBTQ individual to seek services due to fear that you may be pathologized because of your identity. And rather than acknowledging that, no, it's not because of this identity, it's because of the daily discrimination that you experience because of that identity and because of other people's biases and prejudice. Um, I think, too, another big barrier that can come up is just, it's more internal, but just the idea that I have to stay silent, and I have to learn to um, accept an unacceptable situation and not acknowledge and take care of my mental health, um, and um, also not feel that I can um, acknowledge my queer identity. I think too, a barrier that can come up is if people aren't ready to come out yet, they may be they may fear that they could be forced to come out. They may fear that they could be outed to unsupportive um, parents that could set up even kind of a more dangerous situation. Um, so those are I mean all important, I think factors to consider and real barriers for a lot of people. Um, and to, I mean, just when if you're learning that you have to be less like yourself in any way, um, it can increase the risk of mental illness. So I think acknowledging that, um, and so if somebody does come to you for help, just being aware of that, that it may not be so simple, and acknowledging all of those factors can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. Those are all such important points that y'all touched on. And actually, what you were just saying, James, leads up pretty well to our final question. Um, How do you support people when they come out? I know that this support can widely affect the mental health of LGBTQ people. Um, So feel free to share any personal um, advice that you have in this realm or just personal experiences um, if you've come out to someone.
3: I think for me, my coming out experience um, as a lesbian when I was younger, wasn't necessarily like unique, but I was very resistant to the idea of coming out um, because I was like, well, straight people don't have to come out, why should I have to? And for the large part, I didn't. People caught on because I would just talk about it and I was very comfortable and I was very, very fortunate and um, I had the privilege of being in a very accepting space. So I didn't have to worry. I didn't have those anxieties um, that I think a lot of people do. But then in college, as I was exploring my gender and, wanted to start using, I found that different pronouns fit me um, differently or more appropriately. Um, I did feel like it was important to come out because of course I can't assume that other people will know that I want that to change. And so um, I think that uh, I was met with a lot of excitement and that was really affirming for me from friends. So, so meeting that, that coming out with Um, affirmation and excitement was really, really uh, exciting for me. They were excited that um, they felt privileged in a way to be privy to that information. And so that felt very good for me. Um, And uh, just trying to meet that issue head on with someone that's coming out with you and meeting them with excitement and also affirmation, I think is, is incredibly important.
2: Yes, for me, just pausing and giving that space to affirm and listen to what somebody needs to say, give them space to process what this is like for them to verbalize this, what it's like to come out and to be in this vulnerable space, Um, kind of acknowledge all parts of it, acknowledge that this is exciting, there could be fear, there could be unknown, and kind of not, I mean, acknowledging and listening to all parts of this. and also asking the person, too, I mean, what what do you need in this moment? Um, do you need just do you need space? Did you need to verbalize this? Did you want to be in a supportive space? Did you need maybe more direction? Did you want um, pointed toward maybe other supportive spaces? Um, do you need advice? Kind of what what is it that you're needing in this moment? And kind of just giving that space to.
1: Yeah, all I would add is the, you know, checking in about how confidential this is. Uh, I mean, you're going to want to default to confidentiality, but it could be that they are, um, you know, in the process of coming out in the community that you are also a part of, maybe they are looking for an ally in that journey, or maybe they're just going to say, this is just for you, and I'd like to keep it between us and uh, yeah, respecting that privacy can even be a matter of supporting their safety. So that's really important. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you all for those notes. That's all uh, very, very supportive responses. And I hope that anyone listening to our podcast um, can learn a lot from those. So just to wrap up everyone, uh, thank you so much Micah, Alex, and Olivia for being here today. Um, I really appreciate you all um, spending your time with us to uh, make this podcast and also to share um, your experiences and be vulnerable with us um, about what you've been through as LGBTQ people and um, to help support the broader LGBTQ community. if you enjoyed today's discussion, uh, please check out Fun Home the Musical, we have linked um, and you can head to ohio.edu slash diversity slash women's dash center for more amazing programs and events. This has been the Perch Clubhouse from the Ohio University's Women's Center. And we have been reading Fun Home, A Family Tragicomic by Alison Bechtel. Until next time, folks, have an amazing day and keep growing with all of us at The Purple Couch.